Sometimes you have no clue how to respond to people when they say or do something awful. I address that and so much more on my other podcast, Love and Abuse, over at loveandabuse.com. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, and welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. I want to talk about something that I experienced when 2000, early 2000s, and that was about with depression. I probably had a medium to slightly severe bout with depression. It was after I ended or she ended a relationship with me. It was a 13-year relationship, and um, she decided that it was time to end it, and I was shocked. I was surprised, didn't uh, see it coming, even though I can look back and see the signs years ahead of time now, in hindsight, I can go, oh, so at that moment, uh, this is when things started changing. And if I knew then what I know now, things would be different. But um, would they necessarily be better? You know, I'd probably be a different person. I wouldn't be here doing this. There's all kinds of things that we can look at in our past and think, well, I should have done that. And things would have been different. I would have been happier. I would have been this. I would have been that. And I don't really fall into that. I don't buy into it because it's just fantasy. And I think that's an important point is is try not to buy into the thing that could have been better. Try not to buy into that because uh, you can create any, excuse me, freaking scenario that you want and uh, make it sound great. If I had done that, it would have been like this. You can make anything sound great. So don't even, I mean, this is my opinion. Don't even visit it. Don't think, well, I should have done that. I should have done this. Uh, If I had only said that, if I had only said this, yeah, things probably would have been different. But would they have worked out better? Well, I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in now. But would that have been better? Yeah, what if your situation's crappy now? Okay, Uh, would it have been better? I don't know. So why visit it? It's like trying to imagine what life is like on other planets or I mean, maybe that's easy for you, but that's hard for me. I can't imagine what life would be like on other planets with giant planets out there with heavier gravity and different ways that life forms and evolves and different intelligences. And I mean, look at this planet, 65 million years ago or something like that. Dinosaurs were the smart ones and (laughs) the predators and also living their life on this planet, not even thinking anything differently until they were wiped out. So I know I'm going all over the place. Let me get back to depression. and um, But I wanted to at least mention that don't follow the path of the fantasy uh, life that you could have had because that gets you into a line of thinking that doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, it, it repeats in your mind over and over and over again. If I'd only done that, if I'd only done that, I like to move out of that space and live more presently. So this is one of the comments I want to mention on uh, this segment, which is about depression. And when I was in depression, what it was like and how I got out of it. Because I was one of the people that got out of depression. I experienced it. It, quite frankly, sucked. It was awful. I never want to go there again. And I got out of it. And one of the ways I got out of it was being more present-minded. That wasn't the way, that wasn't my solution, but it was one of the ways. It was very helpful to be aware of the present moment, to be aware of what's going on outside of me. That's where I go when I think of the present moment. What is going on outside of you? What else is in the world besides you? When I'm thinking about the present moment, when I'm in the present moment, I am externally focused. I'm not going inward thinking about the meaning of things or my regrets or my fears. I'm going outside of me being observant of the universe. I mean, just try that for a moment. I mean, unless you're driving and you have to be very aware, but just try being observant of the world around you. And don't give it any meaning. If you see a plant, if you see a wall, if you see a car, if you see a person, Don't access your inner meaning. Don't go into a space of, oh, I know that person, or I know what kind of flower that is. I know what kind of car that is. I know it's easy to do that, 
But if you stay externally aware and don't go inward and stay externally focused, like I was saying, what you get to do is be very present without involving you. It's almost an egoless trip, if you want to call it that. An egoless trip where you are taking a trip through the world without your knowledge, without your wisdom, without your learnings in life, without anything that you've learned about anything as if you were seeing things for the first time. That's quite a nice place to be because when you're in that moment, unless the moment is awful, if you know your house is on fire or something terrible is going on, then that moment you need to take action, you need to do something about it. But most moments throughout most people's lives give space to be present. Most moments give space to be present. Even when you're at the office and call after call is coming in and customer after customer is really hounding you, there's still space in between those moments. may not happen often in some work environments, but uh, even, for example, going to the bathroom may sound odd, but there is space in that moment. How much space can you give to that present moment? So I like to go there often. I'd like to think I live my life mostly from that place, but I have future worries. I have fears from the past. I have triggers that come up. I think a lot of us have stuff, but um, being present allows us to get out of our stuff and be another component of the world without including the meaning that we'd normally give things. The example I like to use is I like to look at something living, a tree, a plant, an animal, a person. And when I look at that living thing, I will say to myself, what is that? I think when you do that, you're introduced to the idea that what you're witnessing is foreign. What you're witnessing, you can't comprehend. You've never seen it before. This is kind of a mind trick, of course, but you look at a, a plant or a tree and you go, what is that? I don't know what that is. I'm going to touch it. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to smell it. I'm going to do everything I can, observe it in every way I can possibly observe it because it's just a phenomenal sight to me. I've never seen something like this. It's almost acting, but at the same time, you can experience this curiosity, this fascination when you do it. That's where I go with the present moment. How do I get present? That's how I do it. I get outside myself. I don't give meaning to everything. I don't say, well, I know that's a tree, and I know how to spell tree, and I know those are green leaves, and I know that's a brown trunk, and I don't get, get anywhere like that. I just go into a space of, wow, if I didn't know what that was, what would I think of it? It's a nice space to be in. It's calming to me. So that was one of the methods that uh, helped me get out of depression. It wasn't one of the major ones, but I'll get into that in a moment. Uh, if you've never experienced depression or you started to or you aren't sure, depression is, and this is my own experience, and I have a feeling it's quite common uh, with a lot of people that experience depression. Depression is the repression of emotions. It is the suppression of thought, the repression of emotions, where you stuff them down to the point where you almost feel nothing at all. You get to the point where you feel nothing. And it's not a good nothing feeling. It's a lousy, I have no purpose left, I have no passion, I don't laugh at the things that used to make me laugh, I don't cry at the things that used to make me cry, I'm just blah. I don't like this space that I'm in, and I can't do anything about it, I just feel blah. When my relationship ended, it was right before Christmas, and uh, my friends invited me to their Christmas party, and they were happy, they were celebrating, they, were, they knew I was down, uh, but they you know, told me to come over even though I didn't want to. I usually mourn alone. I'm a, a lone griever. But you know, they wanted to make sure that I had someone to be with and make sure that they were doing what they could to be helpful and, and supportive, and I definitely appreciated it. But um, I didn't appreciate it at the time. I mean, I did and I didn't. Like, I was aware that uh, they were doing something nice for me, but I could not experience any of the positive aspect of what was going on. People opening gifts, people being happy, because I was down. I was depressed. And my depression didn't come from the end of the relationship when it actually ended. 
it started when it started to end, if that makes sense. So like two years, maybe a year and a half previous, when the sex stopped, the romance stopped, uh, all of these things stopped, and I didn't even see them as warning signs, but they were, uh, I also felt myself stopping in many ways. And I've said this a long time ago on the show, and I'm going to say it again, and I probably won't say it for another few years <laughs> because it's very personal. But um, what happens is that when you get to a point where you repress all those emotions and you aren't communicating with your partner and you feel blah, you feel this depression starting. And if you don't know what depression is, you just feel less and less. You feel like you're in this void in this dark space and you can't get out of it. Um, what happens or what happened to me was that I became impotent. I could not necessarily be sexually excited anymore. And as I got more and more depressed, I really thought I had a problem. I thought I had a physical problem. I was reading stuff online, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I was looking up urologist to, to maybe get an appointment. Maybe I was low on testosterone. I thought I had all these physical problems. But what it was, was the repression of all my emotions and the suppression of everything I wanted to say. Like, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? I should have said that. Even though that might not have been something healthy to say, like, what's wrong with you? But at least it would have been something instead of holding back. I think depression starts when you hold back, when you don't want to know the hard truths or talk about the hard truths or express yourself in ways that you want to express yourself. So you hold back. And when you hold back, you hold in what you really want to experience in the world. You hold back your emotional self. You hold back the self that you feel good being, your authentic self. I held back and I became depressed. I became impotent. I became, like I said, it's very personal. Probably won't hear me say it for another few years. <laughs> I became uh, just not even unhappy, just not happy, not sad, not angry, not grieving, nothing. I just became, I felt like nothing and I had no energy. And all I wanted to do was sleep. All I wanted to do was lay down in my misery and just wait for the world to end. Suicidal thoughts came to me, but I didn't want to go that route. But at the same time, what did it matter? It was just a layer of darkness. It was the stormiest cloud ever just permeated my life. I know there are people resonating with this right now. Uh, but let me say this. There is a path out. And I'm only telling you my path. Your path may be different. Maybe you've done the things I've done and it still doesn't work and you're frustrated or not frustrated, but you can't do anything about it. I'm just here to share that there is a way out of depression. The people I've talked with in my life, the clients I've worked with have gotten into a better space since their depression. And some people, they can't get out. They, they take medication. It helps them. And I've had to learn over the years that not everything can be done just by talking and thinking and feeling about it. Um, I have a personal belief that if you get some of the hardest stuff out of your system and express it, that it can be a huge relief. And that huge relief can also relieve depression. I don't know if I ever told the story. I think I did. I think I told the story once where the, what's his name, Ralph? I think it's Ralph Bear. He created... Uh, like the first video game or something in the 70s. And uh, he created something called, I think it's the Odyssey. I used to be a video game historian a little bit. I read a book on video games that uh, showed the history of all these video games. And this guy, Ralph Bear, he invented like Simon. You ever play Simon? Do, 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 do. You, you follow the lights and the sounds. He invented that. He invented a bunch of games. Well, uh, his life wasn't going as well as he wanted it to go. He created this Magnavox Odyssey video game system that you plug into a TV and, um, you know, it wasn't selling or something like this. I may not have the story right, but it wasn't selling and he just became more and more depressed. He, he was inventor of all these things and he, he was becoming depressed. And he remembers laying in a hospital bed fully depressed and as one of his business partners came to him and said, Hey, Ralph, 
you know, your Odyssey, uh, so-and-so wants to invest in it. I forget who it was. I don't know if it was Sears or my, that might be the Atari or something like that. But so-and-so wants to invest in it. They want to give us like $100,000. Ralph said in that instant, his depression ended. And I was reading this going, wow, wait a minute. <laughs> Did he really have depression? This can't be right. But he said in that instant, his depression ended. And I thought, what does that mean? Does that mean the cure for depression is a door that just needs to be opened, but we have to find the right door? What does that mean? If somebody can pop out of depression that quickly, then maybe there is a solution that we just haven't found yet, or some of us, that we haven't stumbled across yet, or some sort of hope or vision in our life that once that door opens, it shines on the darkness and helps us move toward the light again. If you appreciate that analogy, I do. If you have that light shining in going, here's the path out, suddenly you can pop out of it. And he said he never went back, never went back to that depressed state. It was just, he didn't even know that's what was causing it. Something about, you know, maybe feeling failure or something like that. And then suddenly he felt accomplishment. So that really highlighted something for me about depression. And this is something I read after I got over my depression, which I'm going to get into now. So at the end of that relationship, I spent six months just down in the dumps. I was just, I just felt nothing. And I thought, okay, the only way out of this depression clearly is to date someone. If I can find someone to date, then I'll be happy again and I won't be depressed. This is just me back then with unhealthy thoughts. I don't think it's wise to get into a relationship while you're in this state. Not saying you shouldn't. I just don't think it's wise because you want to bring the healthiest version of you into the relationship so that you aren't dependent on someone else to fulfill what you absolutely need in you. And if you're depressed going into a relationship and you're trying to suckle that energy off the other person just so you can feel better, it's going to hurt the relationship. So I don't recommend you do that. But that's what I did. <laughs> so in my past, uh, during my depression, I sought someone else to date. I eventually ended up online, found someone, and uh, this is the person that ended up being my wife in the future. So uh, we met and I was still depressed. However, I could pull moments of happiness out because it was new. It was exciting because it was new. She was a different person. I hadn't experienced a different person in 13 years. Uh, so it was all just something different. And it was helpful. It, it did help. But what happens is what you bring into the relationship after that little honeymoon period, two, three, four months, uh, you settle back to where you were. Or at least that's what normally happens, or for the most part, normally happens. I settled back to where I was. I settled back to that depressed state. And she was feeling it. She was this high energy, happy, loving, honest, authentic person. And she was with me. <laughs> she was with the down me, the depressed me. And so I would have more and more moments, or I shouldn't say moments, days where I was down. And she couldn't figure out what to do. She didn't know what to do. She couldn't make me happy. She, she tried, and she did a really good job trying, but she didn't know what to do. She's, she'd never met someone like me that was in that state. So, uh, you know, this is about two, two and a half months in. She lived on the West Coast. I lived on the East Coast. She had flown and stayed with me for a little while while I made a decision of whether I should move or not. And um, one night she said, you know, I don't think our relationship can last because I don't know what to do. You're never happy. I don't know how to make you happy. I don't know what to do with you. And I was like, I oh, know I'm trying. I don't know either. I'll guess I guess I'll figure it out. And she goes, well, I can't stay while you figure that out. And whoa, that really hit me. I mean, this was real. This was happening. She was saying that she was leaving and that she wasn't going to stay and wait for me to get better because you know, probably, who knows, I may not have gotten better. But when she said that, she really activated something in me. My head started twirling and I thought, 
what is happening here? Is this another person breaking up with me? Uh, what's going on with me? What, what am I doing wrong? How come I can't get out of this depression? It helped me hit the threshold of, I don't know, fear. It helped me understand that, wow, I've got a lot to lose here. And here I am again, losing someone. And it's only been a couple months. I haven't even had a chance to like make this relationship grow and evolve and become something than it more than it is. This is ending right now. What does this mean? I suddenly generalized it to every relationship I was ever going to have. Like, I'm just going to keep ending these relationships because this is who I am. So, like I said, something shifted. Something clicked in me when I realized the huge loss about to happen. This huge loss of this great relationship. And like a switch flipping. I'm not saying I didn't feel depressed, but I felt something change in me. Like, I need to get off my butt. I need to get off my butt and do something about this. I need to take action in my life. I can't continue living like this. This is a bad state to be in. And when that shift happened, it opened up a conduit to my emotions. This is the only way I can explain it. It opened up some sort of path. You know, we're talking about that door opening. It opened up a door and it allowed me to access something that I hadn't accessed I don't know, ever. It allowed me to access anger. It allowed me to access hatred and a lot of anger, a lot of anger toward my stepfather. I mean, this had nothing to do with my relationship, or I thought it didn't. This had nothing to do with my previous relationship, or I thought it didn't, as far as being angry with my stepfather for his role in my upbringing. For me, afraid to be myself with him, because if I was myself, then he might be angry. He might hurt me. He might be aggressive. And so I started connecting with this hatred I had toward him. And I was taught that you shouldn't hate. You shouldn't hate anyone. That's wrong. You shouldn't hate people. You need to love people. You need to be compassionate toward people. And so I had this mentality of must love everyone, must stay in denial, and you know, don't show them that uh, you have any ill feelings toward them. Just show them love and compassion. Well, that flew out the window when this hatred came up, and I, and I thought, where did this come from? What is this? I didn't even know what it was at first. And then I started crying. I started bawling, and I fell down onto my knees, and I was crying. I was like 35 years old. This is like over 13, 14 years ago. And this crying came out, and this hatred really built up. And then I yelled at the top of my lungs, I hate my stepfather so much. I was crying it out. I yelled it out. And then my girlfriend, she sat down. I put my head on her lap and I was just crying. I felt like an idiot. <laughs> I felt just vulnerable. Thank God she was who she was because I had to be in that space at that time for that door to open and for that stuff to come up, for that conduit to connect my emotions with the outside world to express them to someone. This is where I got the idea of being able to express your hard truths, your authentic thoughts and your feelings with someone safe. She provided that. I didn't know she was that safe because I'd never been that vulnerable. I'd never been that expressive. I'd never expressed anger. I'd never expressed any type of hatred. And so when that came out, and I cried so much of it out, I felt a lightness that I hadn't felt in years. I felt just a little bit lighter. I'm not saying that the switch flipped and I was not depressed anymore like Ralph Bear. I, I was still depressed. But for the first time, I felt lighter. It felt like a step out of the darkness. And that step made a world of difference. It was like night and day. Because the next day, I felt so much better. I felt like there was a chance that I could actually get out of this state. And I had to replay what happened in my mind so that I could repeat it. I wanted to repeat what happened. I didn't want to, but I wanted to because if that was the way out, I was going to do it again. I wanted it to happen. And, you know, I talked with my girlfriend and I said, you know, I feel lighter now. I feel good. And, and she really saw the change in me. And, from that point on, I was no longer really coming from a place of depression. I was still depressed, and she knew it, but she could see a shift. 
And when I opened that door and that shift happened, it was because I let the hard stuff out. And this is where I'm going with this segment now, is that when you're in depression, the hardest stuff that you're holding in, the painful stuff or the emotions that you weren't allowed to feel or were told you weren't allowed to feel, when that stuff comes up, when you can express it to someone safe, when you can let it out, hopefully in tears or some sort of emotional outburst, I hate to put that on you, but I think it's very helpful when there's an emotional outburst of some sort and you're connecting with the source of that outburst, the source of what's underneath that outburst. For me, it was hatred. I didn't know I was carrying it. If you're depressed, what is it for you? What are you holding on to? When did your depression start? I mean, it may have been in a relationship or it may have been in childhood, probably. <laughs> probably in childhood. That's where a lot of this stuff starts. But what did you want to be different in childhood? Because when you start connecting with that and then you express it and you let it out, hopefully to someone safe, or if you can't find anyone safe, hopefully to nature, to a pillow that you can beat, uh, hopefully someone or somewhere that you can be your authentic self. Depression is no joke. If you've never had it, you don't want it. And from the time I started expressing myself to the woman who became my wife, I learned a lot by doing so. She was like 75% responsible for all of my personal growth because she was there for me to feel safe with, to feel vulnerable with. And that was important. Sometimes we can't find someone like that. But when we can, it's very helpful. If we can't, then we find therapists, then we find coaches, we find people to express this stuff to. I like to go into a space of what's your deepest, darkest thoughts, your secrets, your embarrassments, your shame, your guilt, your fears, what is still in there? Because when that starts coming out, what has been depressed suddenly gets expressed and you feel lighter. You feel lighter all around. You go from the darkness to the light. You go from the heavy to the light. In my experience, it can be done. And I tell you what, as I started to connect with my emotions again and allowing them to be expressed and feel them and knowing it was okay to feel them, I started becoming more physically connected too. I started becoming more sexually connected. And that was a huge revelation for me because I didn't know that those were connected until I experienced it. And I had read so many things online saying, impotence is 90% psychological. And I was like, that's BS. I am perfectly fine. I'm perfectly happy, even though I was not. I think there was some denial in there too. <laughs> so from that point on, when I learned how to get out of depression and keep moving out of depression day after day after day, it took about a year, year and a half after that to really start coming to a place where I didn't feel it anymore. And there's a distinct feeling with it. Uh, it may be a numbing feeling, but there is a distinct feeling. After about that year and a half, uh, whenever depression or the feeling of depression started, I had a little mantra, no, I'm not going there, never again. I don't know if that was a mantra, but <laughs> it was just a command to my subconscious mind, no, I'm not going there, ever. Uh, and that was because I started feeling depressed, whatever, you know, work stress, relationship stress. It always happens. It's, it's going to be a part of life. So if I felt those depressed feelings come up again, I would just say, no, I, I, I'm never going to go there again. And I would pop out of it. So that became a practice. And nowadays, I don't know, once every two or three years, if something starts happening, I'll go, whoa, no, 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 no. We're not going back there again. <laughs> don't want to visit that place again, ever again. Uh, you catch it early. And when you catch it early, you can repeatedly catch it and never go back. I know it's a perfect world. If you've been working on getting out of your depression, this doesn't mean that I have the magic pill, but I just want you to keep this in mind. Anyway, when we come back, I'm going to read you uh, an email from someone who's had a dysfunctional upbringing herself and uh, what's been happening with her and what we can do to help her out. We'll be right back after this. All right, I'm going to read you an email. This is from someone I'm going to call Mary. Mary wrote and said, hello from Canada, Paul. Hello, Mary. 
I've been depressed this last year more than ever. I started listening to your podcast, and it has helped so much. Thank you. You're welcome, Mary. I'm glad to hear that. I, much like yourself, have grown up with alcoholism. My mother still to this day is drinking. It was very hard growing up because I feel like I'm always looking for my mother to tell me that she is proud of me and that I have done good. There was a lot of emotional and sometimes physical abuse, which later in my life I had lowered my standards with boyfriends. I have received emotional and physical abuse from them as well because that is what I was taught from someone who didn't know how to love or show love. I have left the abusive boyfriend and now have a great boyfriend that is trying to show me that I am lovable and that I am worthy. We came to the conclusion that because of my past, I want to be loved, but I don't. How do I get myself out of the state I feel that I'm stuck in? I don't think I'm beautiful, smart, or worse, worthy of love. I want to thank you again for your time to read this. Okay, thank you, Mary. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, absolutely, I understand. You know, growing up in an alcoholic home, uh, how worthy do you feel when alcohol is the main source of all the attention in your home, or a lot of it? And I, I certainly felt that way with my stepfather. You know, it's it's weird because I have this odd feeling, this mixed feeling, growing up with a man that I really grew to love and hate at the same time, but he spent all his time loving his alcohol, and even, in my opinion, loving his own children more than me, you know, getting them better gifts, <laughs> treating them a lot better than he treated his stepkids. Uh, this is my perception from a, a child's point of view when I was a kid, and um it's just weird to look back at that and think, you know, if he didn't drink, he'd probably be the sweetest, kindest guy ever. Because when he wasn't drinking, he seemed to have a heart of gold. So I had this weird mix. And, of course, I think, yes, but he was abusive. Yes, he was scary. He was threatening. He hurt my mom. He hurt my sisters. He, he hurt, you know, too many people. He, he just sucked into that vortex of misery that surrounds him even today. And no one likes to be around him. That's a generalization that I'm putting out there. Uh, maybe someone likes to be around him. Maybe he has friends. I don't know. But he sure seems to alienate and isolate himself from the world by continuing to drink and lie and uh, be bothersome to everyone's life he shows up in. So, again, it's a generalization. I, I certainly don't know most of his life, what he goes through. But every time I hear a story about him, uh, someone doesn't want to be near him. He, he's losing friends and family. It's sad. It is sad to see someone go downhill like that and for no one to want to be near him. At the same time, you know, you look at his history. So, like I said, there's a little tiny conflict in me that feels bad for him because he's a human being, because he raised me in a way... Um, and at the same time, geez, man, <laughs> look at all the stuff you did in your life, and this is what you get. Not that I'm saying he deserves it, but, you know, you reap what you sow. You continue to mistreat people and abuse people and lie to people. You're going to be isolated. You're going to be alone. And he likes to blame everyone else for him being alone. No one loves me. No one this, no one that. So I don't even know why I shared that with you. Maybe it's just because I'm recalling the events from my past and thinking about what I've done to heal from those events and certainly what you said in your letter about not feeling lovable, not feeling smart, not feeling worthy, all of those things I can resonate with, at least from the perspective of my stepfather. My mom didn't treat me that way, but my stepfather certainly didn't um, give me those warm, fuzzy feelings. But because I was so young when he came into my life, a traumatic bonding occurred where I felt love and abuse at the same time, which creates a little dichotomy in your mind that in order to be loved, I need to make sure there's abuse in there somewhere. And it doesn't have to be physical. It can be minor forms or major forms of emotional abuse as well. But that's what happens is that we develop these traumatic bonds with toxic people in our life. And uh, then we grow up and move out of the house and we don't know how to function as well as some other people who were loved and respected and told they were beautiful, smart, and lovable and all that stuff. So I'm just saying I can absolutely relate with you, Mary. 
That's the first component of what I'm talking about is I can relate. <laughs> so I don't know if that helps you, but do know that you can ascend beyond how you feel and how you think from the state you're in today. You can ascend that. I did it. I have gotten past a lot of stuff. It doesn't mean everything's gone. And it doesn't mean I still don't have some feelings about certain things in my life about him, but they are not limiting me in any way. I never think about him. And when I do, eh, there's a little bit of conflict in there. There's stuff going on, but it's something that doesn't permeate my soul. It doesn't occupy a lot of space. So I don't think about it. And it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect my relationships anymore. So... I'm sharing this with you to let you know that as you continue your personal growth and your healing journey, you're going to ascend this. You're going to evolve out of it. You will transform. It will happen because you're already asking the right questions. You already know what you feel and you're addressing what you feel. I highly encourage addressing what you feel. I don't feel lovable. I don't feel smart. I want to be told I'm lovable by my mom. Like you said, it was very hard growing up because you always felt like you were looking for your mother to tell you that she is proud of you and that you've done good. So I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to put you in a spot of really, I'm going to use the word philosophizing, really philosophizing this, really thinking about it from a different perspective, uh, just to help expand your mind a little bit regarding the box of knowledge that you have. Are currently carrying. It's like a box. It, a box is, this is what I know about what I'm going through. I know that I don't feel worthy. I don't feel smart. I don't feel lovable. This is what I know. It's in my box. And in order to get outside that box, I love to ask questions that maybe I hadn't considered before. So let's help you and anyone that's going through this to get outside the box of this type of thinking where you feel stuck where you don't think you're beautiful, smart, or worthy of love. Let's get outside that box. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and we'll just go through this. And obviously you can't answer me interactively here, so I'm just going to go through this and want you to think and feel and whatever comes to mind so that it helps you expand beyond this box, beyond this limiting place that you're in, so that you can start to get unstuck. Have you ever seen a car get stuck in mud or snow and then you have to get behind it and you push back and forth, back and forth while somebody's in the car pressing the, on the accelerator trying to move it back and forth until it finally moves out of that, that rut it dug itself into? I want you to think of these questions as that back and forth motion because one of them could push you out of the rut. Think of these questions as that pushing back and forth, trying to gain momentum, trying to gain enough traction to push you out of the rut. Are you ready? My first question is, why do you have to think you're beautiful? It's an odd question, right? Why do you have to think you're beautiful? And I'm sure you have answers and that's not a problem, but I'm just going to ask you questions to help you expand your mind out of this box. Why do you have to think you're beautiful? What will it do for you? And you can pause anytime because I really want things to come up for you. And I'd rather have you pause, contemplate, ponder, think about this stuff, have any pictures come to mind, have any feelings come to mind, have any sounds come to mind. Allow anything to come to mind. Maybe even meditate on one of these questions. So you may have some answers for this, which is great. And if you don't have any answers, that's fine too. This is all about mind expansion. So before I go to the next one, I just want to say, what is the goal of being beautiful? What is the goal? Is it to attract a mate or is it something else? Again, you may have the answer and you may be, and you may be saying, no, the reason is, and you know it for sure, that's fine. I just want you to ponder these. Next one is, um, why do you have to think you're smart? And a follow-up to that is to ask yourself, if I thought I was smart, I would, then you finish the sentence. If I thought I was smart, I would, what? What would be that what? A little mind expansion there. Maybe you have an answer, maybe you don't. These are all individual questions to meditate on, to have something come to mind on. If you were smart, would you get a different job? Would you buy a more economical car? 
Would you join the astronaut program? What would you do differently if you believed you were smart? Would you join Mensa, the smart people's group? <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. I know they don't call themselves the smart people's group. But there's my level of intelligence, right? <laughs> Mensa, the smart people's group. Uh, how would your life change if you suddenly started believing that you were smart? All right, let's go to the next one. When you compare yourself to someone who is in an abusive relationship, do you feel smarter than them because you left yours? That might press some buttons, I don't know, but I wanted to ask you so you could figure out where you go with that. It's not meant to be a judgment against anyone else. I just want you to question your belief about what smart really is. We tend to focus on what we have failed at instead of what we have achieved. So consider that. Like, I consider myself emotionally intelligent. I can talk emotional and relationship issues all day long. But when I watch Jeopardy, <laughs> I feel like a total idiot. So I want you to remove your parents' definition of smart and insert your own. Where in life do you excel? For the longest time, I was the only person that could program a VCR in my home. <laughs> There's no VCRs anymore, but that one thing I was certainly smarter at than other people. Where in life do you excel? And I don't care if it's smart enough to get out of the rain. I just want you to start thinking about where in life you excel. And the only problem with that question is that we always compare it to other people. So don't necessarily compare it to someone that specializes in something and you want to be smarter than them in that specialty. That's probably not a fair comparison. And I don't want you to say, I don't excel anywhere. You can't say, I don't excel anywhere. I want you to remember that making the choice to honor yourself and get away from a dangerous situation like an abusive relationship is probably one of the smartest decisions that you can make. So if you can't think of anything, I already recognize intelligence in that behavior. Now let's talk about feeling worthy of love. My question to you in that regard is, how would you know if you were worthy of love? What would be the qualifier for that self-analysis? I think that's a good question. Maybe you have an answer, maybe you don't, maybe it's quick, maybe you got to think about it, but let's just throw something at you. Let's say that your mom said, I am so proud of you. I made a lot of mistakes and I'm so sorry. I never should have treated you that way because you deserve to be loved. I know you may not be able to forgive me, but just know that I love you and you deserve the very best in life. I just want you to be happy. If she said that to you, would you then feel worthy of love? I want you to really consider that. What if she said that to you and you told me, yes, I think I would feel worthy of love, but no one else ever said anything like that to you from that point on. No one else ever wanted to be with you or love you and it was only her that felt that way about you. Her alone, that's it. No one wanted to be in a relationship with you, but you got your mom's love. Do you still feel worthy of love? Some of these are unfair questions, I'm sorry. And I'm only putting you through this to distinguish if you are seeking your lovability and worth from just one source. Or is it the combination of sources that plays a role in how beautiful, smart, or worthy you feel? It's another thing to ponder. Now, if you say to me, yes, Paul, if my mom quit drinking and she called me up and apologized for all the terrible things she put me through and for not being there for me when I needed her most and she said she loved me and told me I was beautiful and smart, I wouldn't need anyone else to tell me I was beautiful or smart or lovable ever again. I would totally challenge that. I wouldn't believe it. I mean, you might say that, but I probably wouldn't believe it because then you would say, but my mom thinks I'm lovable, but no one else does. Again, I'm only asking these questions not because any are necessarily true or right or wholly revealing of a paradigm shift in you, but we're rocking the car back and forth trying to get it out of the rut because that old pattern is replaying itself over and over again in your head. Let's get out of that pattern. Let's get out of that rut. 
Start saying new things to ourselves. Start uh, having different inner dialogue. Start having different beliefs. This is where we shake up that foundation a little bit so we can get you into a different space. Now, my last words on this you may not like, but they're important, and I want you to listen closely. A mom, or any parent really, but I'm talking about your mom, who treats you as not smart or even stupid, uh, as not beautiful, or even calls you ugly and says or shows that you're unworthy of love or even says they hate you is a mom who feels stupid, ugly, and hated herself. In other words, it's very hard to truly help someone see their own worth when they themselves feel worthless. In fact, one of the most difficult pieces of advice that I've ever given on this show or with my clients one-on-one is to help them understand, help you understand, that when you have a parent who didn't show how worthy, beautiful, and lovable you are, is that the parent cannot possibly give what they have not experienced themselves. In other words, when you don't feel smart, beautiful, or worthy of love, you cannot possibly give that to others. You cannot give what you don't have. Now, I know I'm going to get some lashback for that because that's like saying, well, just because I wasn't loved doesn't mean I can't give that to my kids or to my partner. I'm not saying it in that respect. I'm saying it that when someone can't show up in this way, when someone can't show you how lovable you are and how worthy that you truly are, it's because they don't feel it, because they've never experienced it. Or at least they haven't experienced it in a healthy way or they've interpreted their own parents and their own upbringing as mistreatment and abuse. And I shouldn't say interpreted. They, they probably have experienced some form of neglect, trauma, abuse, intentional or not, because they did not feel lovable, worthy, or beautiful. They didn't feel it. And if they did, they would know that it would feel good to you to pass that on, to show you. But if they didn't, they don't even know how to do it. They don't even know what that's like. And with with your mom, Mary, her drinking may have a lot to do with swallowing the emotional pain because of that. Don't expect an abused mind to be able to give you what you need if they can't stop abusing themselves. And I think you realize that. I think you know that she's incapable. From what you said in your letter, I think you know that she is incapable of doing it. So I, I may not be saying anything that you don't already know, but let me just drive it home a little bit more to maybe help you connect with this in a different way. And you've heard this, hurt people hurt people. You know that. And loved people love people. And this can give you a perspective that I don't know if you've approached it this way or not, but if your mom doesn't feel smart, beautiful, or worthy, you can do your best to show her that she is smart, beautiful, and worthy. Now, she may not believe you. She may be in the same boat you are. She may not believe anyone that says she is smart, beautiful, or worthy. So it may be a lost cause, and I hate to say that, but it just may not be something that works for her. And at the same time, you may not even want to say that. You may not feel that way toward her. I don't know. Or maybe you have done this and it doesn't work. But if she truly is smart, beautiful, and worthy, in your eyes, even if she can't show up for you in a way that helps you, can you show up in any way from any of that perspective toward her? You may not be able to. With my stepfather, I don't show him up for him that way. I don't really care about him. Like I said, I have some conflict in there because he was the person I've known all my life and he had something to do with raising me because he brought money into the home, but that traumatic bond was there, so I had an unhealthy version of love and support, but I've grown beyond wanting to show him any more compassion or love. So it's too late for me. (laughs) I don't mean it that way, but I think you know what I mean is that if you have a different type of relationship with your mom, if you still get along with your mom, if you want to show these things to her, then can you do so from a somewhat unconditional place? Hey, I know she's drinking and she's probably hurting, so I'm going to show her more love. I'm going to show her that she is worthy and beautiful and smart. I'm going to show her all these things. Again, this is difficult advice because you know I don't want you to think that I'm 
telling you to have love and compassion for someone who might be abusing you. I don't know the entire situation. And I also don't want to put you in a space of, oh, gee, I, I have to show all these things to someone I don't like. I'm not putting you in that situation. I'm just helping you. This is all about the mind expansion. This is all about getting to a new space, a new perspective by having this perception of her, of where she is. What if she felt all of these things and she gets it from no one because no one wants to be around her because she's always drinking and she's abrasive and so that perpetuates her cycle so she drinks more. Who knows? So there's part compassion, there's part unconditional love in what I'm asking and I'm not really asking you to do it. I'm just asking you to have a perception that may or may not have been there at least in the depth that I've just presented. And I realize that this may not make you feel any better about yourself, or it might. But when you show compassion, even for someone who just can't seem to show it back, it actually may sneak past their filters to the point where they realize their own worth. This could perhaps change things around for her, or not. And like I said, I, I'm not saying you have to associate with her at all. I'm not saying you have to talk to her or reach out to her in any way. I'm just helping you come to some better conclusions in your mind so that you don't carry around any toxic thoughts that could be affecting you. It's like holding on to hatred. When you hold on to that thought of hating someone, that hating feeling, those thoughts get turned inward and become toxic to you. Holding on to hatred, holding on to anger, all of those thoughts always turn inward. And I gave this example once. There was a video game called Warlords back in the 80s. And uh, it's an old game. And what happens is you're this big block that protects a castle from a fire-breathing dragon. Dragon comes by, shoots a fireball at your block that you can move with a paddle, and you're protecting your castle so the fireball doesn't hit your castle and destroy the walls. You can bounce the fireball back at another player, or you can hold on to the fireball. And when you hold on to it, there's a caveat that the fireball leaks fire onto your castle, slowly dissolving it. And I, I think this is the perfect analogy because when you hold on to the fireball in this game, it allows you to point it at anyone so you can shoot it back at them, so you can steer your paddle and point it at another person's castle. Uh, but holding on to it also starts dissolving your castle piece by piece. That's how I see anger. That's how I see hatred. When you hold on to any negativity... It's like these little bits of fire keep entering your system and affecting you and affecting your behavior and even affecting your health. I can't tell you how many stomach issues I had holding on to anger. Addressing it and resolving it in myself and healing from it helped me launch that fireball away from me to keep it away from my castle, to keep it away from my emotional and physical core. So anyway, there's an 80s reference for you. It's <laughs> my age, 48. I, I might do that every now and then. <laughs> anyway, um, I want you to remember that we're trained to feel bad about ourselves. We're not born that way. We're trained, we're conditioned to feel bad about ourselves. This means we can retrain ourselves to feel good about ourselves. I want you to celebrate you. Start building a healthy ego. I have episodes on that, building a healthy ego. Just go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, type in the words healthy ego, and uh, listen to those or read the articles I wrote. Because once you start building that healthy ego, you no longer have to look for your worthiness outside of you. You no longer have to look for your worthiness, for your lovability, for your brilliance from anyone else but yourself. Because a healthy ego says, hey, I'm all that. <laughs> I'm great. I know there are some teachings out there that say, drop the ego altogether, and I absolutely agree with them. I'm not disagreeing with those at all. However, I sometimes think when you're so far down and you have these old programs and these old patterns running, I think it's time to build that ego a little bit and say, you know what? I'm pretty damn good. I'm pretty damn good. And I, I love being able to do that and allowing myself to do that. I want you to allow yourself to do that and say, I'm pretty damn good there. I'm pretty damn smart. I'm pretty damn good looking. And if you don't believe that at first, that's why it's important to build the ego a little bit to get to the point where you think, hey, you know, I'm starting to feel better about myself. It's all tied into confidence and self-esteem and self-worth in a certain way. In another way, dropping the ego 
you know, gets rid of all these needs and desires and living in the present moment and being in the now. Perfect stuff. I love it. And I think it's also a great way to go. But I'm going to encourage uh, building a healthy ego in this episode. (laughs) And for you, Mary, because I know that you are absolutely worthy, smart, beautiful, and lovable. I know it. Even if you say, you've never seen me, you've never heard me, I don't care because we're all born this way. I know it's true. So I can't be fooled. (laughs) And I want you to stick around to the end of the show and really listen to my final words. You know, the words I repeat every week. I want you to soak them in and feel them in every fiber of your being. We'll be back. I'll say some thank yous and then give you my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I think I'm losing my voice. (laughs) And I want to tell you about the Mean Workbook. The Mean Workbook is something that took me about a year to create. It is the Manipulation and Emotional Abuse Workbook to help you evaluate your relationship and also pinpoint exactly what is happening in your relationship. If you find your relationship way more difficult than it should be, I mean, relationships are supposed to be somewhat fun and easy and enjoyable. And I've found that a lot of them sometimes aren't. And why are they so difficult? You go through difficult periods and transitions. You can have arguments. You can have debates. You can have um, a conflict in values. But you can usually get past most things. Emotional abuse happens when you still can't get past those things. I'm not saying it's all the time, but emotional abuse is when you want the other person to feel bad about themselves and you have these emotional triggers that you're carrying with you throughout the relationship and they keep coming up and you keep making your partner feel bad or they keep making you feel bad or guilty or feel responsible for all the problems in the relationship. That's just way too difficult to deal with in a relationship. You should not have to deal with those kinds of difficulties. Relationships are supposed to be something you enjoy, not something you abhor. So I want you to consider getting the mean workbook over at loveandabuse.com so that you can pinpoint exactly what's going on in your relationship if you're having issues and what you can do about it. Loveandabuse.com. Check it out. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And uh, just to close the show, I want to really talk to you. I want to talk to you, directly to you, and let you know that no matter what beliefs you brought into the world about yourself, about how you're not good enough, how you're not smart enough, how you're not good looking enough, how you're not worthy enough, if any of those beliefs are in you, like I said earlier, you were born not believing those things. You were born not believing those things because they didn't exist. They weren't true. And then you were trained to believe those things, if you believe any of those things. I'm, I'm only talking to you if you believe any of these things about yourself. And trained's not the right word. You were conditioned. You interpreted other people's behavior as that. You listened to other people's words and thought it was gospel. You took other people's behavior as something that was wrong with you. When you feel at all insecure in yourself, not confident, not feeling like you don't have the ability to achieve, to succeed, to be in a relationship, to get that job, to do something that you've always wanted to do because you don't think you could ever develop the abilities or you don't think you're smart enough because you don't think you're whatever. If any of that is in you, those, you know, they call them limiting beliefs. I have a limiting belief that I'll never be an astronaut, so I'm not even going to try for the space program. And these kind of limiting beliefs stop us from doing things that could benefit us in so many other ways and reinforce that what we feel bad about in ourselves is true. So what happens is we have a limiting belief that says, I'm not good looking enough to get a date. So we have a a limiting belief like that, which causes us not to go to a dating site or, you know, I'm I can't think of where to pick up people, a library, a supermarket, a a meetup group where singles meet. I'm not good looking enough, so I'm not going to even take the first step toward it. That's what limiting beliefs do to us. I'm not going to take the first step because I have this belief about myself. When you don't take the first step, you reinforce that belief in yourself and the belief is never true. And I, I guarantee you it's never true because 
we always compare ourselves to people that are better looking, wealthier, smarter. <laughs> we, we only always feel bad when we compare ourselves to people that clearly have something more than us. I mean, I'm making a generalization here, and I'm sorry if this isn't true for you, but every time I've felt bad about myself because I wasn't enough of something, for example, I play guitar. And I have been playing since 1999, and I still think I sound like an amateur. And when I play guitar, and I tune into YouTube or wherever, and listen to, say, John Williams or not the composer, but the guitar player, some other amazing guitar player. I listen to the perfection in their 12 hours a day of practice and think to myself, wow, I suck. Because <laughs> I'm listening to this guy and I think I suck. But then I tune into someone who's been practicing for six months and I think, whoa, I've really improved. I do so much better than that person. I'm not saying I say these words, but I feel differently about it. That's what we do. We compare ourselves to people who excel and specialize and practice and put all their time, energy, focus, attention, money into a specific thing that they're good at. Or some people just are gifted. They're gifted. They look wonderful. They have wealth. They have intelligence. And then we think, oh, I'm not that. So I guess I'm not any good. Or we compare ourselves to a segment of a population. 10 million people are smarter than me. I must be dumb. Or you're smarter than 7 billion other people. There's so many people on this planet that you can compare yourself to. So compare yourself to people that you can actually feel good about yourself instead of feel bad about yourself. I mean, I'm not encouraging comparing yourself to people. I think that's a challenging way to live your life. I'm going to compare myself to other people so I can feel bad about myself or I can feel good about myself or whatever. Comparing yourself is a bad habit, but we still do it. I could tell you not to compare all day long, but you're still going to do it. I mean, <laughs> I'm talking to the people that actually do this. I do this. I compare myself. How do I know I'm getting better at guitar? Well, I'll compare myself to someone that's better than me. Oh, I'm not getting better. Oh, I better try harder. That can help. If you compare yourself to someone, quote, better than you in something, then you can have incentive. But if it makes you feel bad, then compare yourself to someone else because that doesn't work. So anyway, I just wanted to get that out. I mean, we only know how worthy, smart, beautiful, intelligent we are in comparison to someone else. That's the only way we know. You don't know hot unless you feel cold. You don't think about oxygen unless you have none. I mean, these are the philosophical thoughts that have been talked about for ages. So I just want to plant in your mind that, uh, yes, it's not a good practice to compare yourself. But if you can't help it, then at least find people that you can feel good when you compare yourself. You can look over at someone and go, wow, that person has no experience doing that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to customer service that could have taken the opportunity to really shine and instead just flush me down the toilet and uh, made me quit a service, made me review a product terribly because that one person in customer service didn't say the right things. I mean, all he had to do is say, oh my God, if I was in your situation, I'd feel the same way. Sometimes that's all I'm looking for. <laughs> but no, I sometimes I get those customer service reps that uh, just don't know how to talk to people. And I think, oh, I could just go in there and train their staff and tell them how to talk to people, to connect with them, to empathize with them. So I, I can be a little judgmental there. And so that customer service rep had a great opportunity and lost that opportunity. So now I have to take my business elsewhere. And when I compare myself to someone like that, I feel good about myself. I know I can do this better. I know I could do that better if I was in that job. That's not something I normally do. I'm just using that as an example. But you get the idea. There's something that you excel in. There's something that you can look at in yourself that you're definitely either more gifted, more skilled, more qualified than someone else. And they themselves are more gifted, more qualified, and more skilled in what they're doing compared to someone else as well. And that's how this works. So if you find yourself comparing yourself to other people, at least do it in that way. Uh, that's my suggestion. If you don't compare yourself to other people, then great, you've evolved, <laughs> you've gotten to a point where I don't have to think about what other people 
are doing because I'm just focused on what I'm doing myself. Perfect. That's where I like to be. That's where I like to practice being. doesn't always work, but I do my best. And I hope this works for you. And um, like I was saying in the last segment, I want you to listen to these words very carefully. You are absolutely worthy. You are beautiful. You're so smart. And I am so proud of you. You are very important to me. Thank you for being you. And always keep your mind open so that you can step into your personal power. This will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You know, pushing that car back and forth, getting it out of the rut. Build that momentum because you are powerful beyond measure and above all. And this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.